Well, let's get into our passage. I mean, it's always bittersweet when we come to the end of a letter or a book in the Bible, a gospel. We spent so much time together in Philippians. This has been wonderful, for me at least. It's been wonderful, and, and uh, to bring it to a close, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's bittersweet. But I'm excited about what is next, and that is our study in Exodus. And we'll be starting that next Sunday. Uh, and then we'll take a break for Easter Sunday. I'm going to preach on the resurrection. And then we'll jump back into Exodus, and we'll be there for a long time. Uh, but I'm excited about that. And then, God willing, John after that. So there's a little forecast of what's to come. Well, we are bringing this letter to a close, but I hope and pray that this is the not, not the last time that you read this letter, that you revisit it time and time again, because it is God's Word, and it's good. Amen? It's a great letter. Uh, but we're going to bring it to a close this morning, Philippians 4, 21-23. This is the greeting section of Paul's letter. Uh, the title, Greetings, Grounds, and Grace. I could have called it Triple G, G-Cubed. That would have been funny, G-Cubed. But we, I didn't do that. Greetings, Grounds, and Grace, and you'll see why. The big idea, we can live like Christ and for Christ because in Him, in Christ, we have access to His power, his grace. So greetings, grounds, and grace. Now, it's easy to overlook the final greeting section of Paul's letters. We get to the end, and we assume that we've already had the the meat and the potatoes of the letter, and that this final greeting is just the garnish, right? It's, It's decorative and nice, but not really necessary or helpful. It's not really substantial, and therefore we can move on. But that would be a grave mistake. In these few short verses, three verses, where Paul closes out his letter, we have several theologically rich words. Saints, brothers, grace, Christ Jesus, and Lord. So there's more here than meets the eye. We could even argue that Paul's final greetings represent an application section to Paul's letter. Furthermore, it serves to bookend and conclude his letter in a way that helps us to make sense of it all. All right, so what we're going to see is that in these final three verses, Paul comes full circle. Okay, this is really cool. Peter O'Brien notes these greetings and benedictions, right, prayers, are filled with Christian content and consistently reflect Paul's relations with the readers. These verses that we're going to look at this morning teach us about the church and provide us with a beautiful response or application to Paul's letter. So we're going to look at three things, three things in these final three verses, the greetings, the grounds, and God's grace. So let's start with the greetings. Greetings is number one. Verses 21 and 22, Paul writes, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So what's up with all these greetings? Three times in two verses, we find the verb to greet. Now, why does Paul end his letter the way he does? Now, this is typical of Paul's letters with the only exceptions being Galatians, Ephesians, and 1 Timothy. Furthermore, this was common practice 
for letter writing in the ancient world. They would end their letters with kind of a final greeting. They would pass on greetings. They would relay greetings. However, rather than adopting the standard language of farewell, good luck, or goodbye, and, and that was common to the letters of this time, Paul uses the verb to greet, to extend warm and personal greetings from himself and those with him. Okay, So remember, this is to be seen. Philippians, Philippians is nice. You know, if you read Galatians and, and 1 Corinthians, you're like, man, the church is a mess. And it is, right? Oftentimes. But Philippians is what was called, do you guys remember, if you can tell me this, I'll, I'll buy you a book today. The long term for this type of letter. Three, two, one. No free books today, I'm sorry. It's a hortatory friendship letter, okay? So it's a letter between friends. And the letter itself is full of endearing language. Paul even personalizes his greeting so that each member of the Philippian church might be made aware of Paul's strong love and affection, his concern for them. So what's the big deal? Maybe, you know, in the past, you've read a letter of Paul, and you get to these final few verses, and it's just like a blink of an eye, and you're done. You don't really think about it. Because like I said earlier, you've already read the meat and potatoes. You've taken it in. This is just the garnish. No, no. So what's the big deal? Gordon Fee writes... These kinds of greetings are one of the ways that Paul used to keep the various churches aware of and in touch with one another. I'm really excited for the application portion of my sermon, especially the point one greetings, okay? I'm going to put us to work, all right? For the glory of God. So the greeting was Paul's way of saying, we are together, friends. We are together. So what kind of action did this verb call for to greet? How many times does the verb appear in two verses? Three times, okay? So the verb to greet, as pazomai, as pazomai, it means to engage in hospitable recognition of another. The physical, this is cool, the physical, Dave, we could reenact this together, we could act this out, we're not going to right now, but the, the physical action of greeting in this particular context was of warm embrace, it was a warm embrace. The act itself conveyed love. It communicated love and affection and expressed the bond of fellowship, right? It was saying we are together, working together to advance the gospel. So here, in these final few verses, Paul is relaying a triple greeting. <gasps> Not the triple greeting. How dare you? How could you, Paul? That's just too much. No, it's not. There's a triple greeting. So, number one, Paul himself, right? He sends his own greeting. He wants the church in Philippi to, hey, I love you, I care about you, I'm for you, I'm praying for you, bud. That's greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wants to pass along his own personal greeting. Then, number two, we have the brothers with Paul. What? So there are those in Rome, right, that are working with Paul. Again, they want to express their greeting, their love and affection as well. And then number three, we have all the saints. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So what does all of this reveal? What do you think? The fact that there are multiple churches now wanting to convey greetings to the church in Philippi. Is that a good thing? The church is what? It is? It's growing, which means the gospel is advancing. And this is a massive theme in Philippians. The fact that there are other 
Christians to extend greetings reveals that the gospel is advancing elsewhere, right? And it's all for the glory of God. So if you're taking notes, this is just a nice summary of what we're looking at today. Paul's greeting section reveals three things, the scope of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the purpose of the gospel, okay? So the the final greeting section, and this is probably true for all of Paul's letters, right? With the exception of a few. There's three letters that don't have this final greeting section, but most of them do. The greeting section reveals the scope of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the the purpose of the gospel, or the goal of the gospel. So I want to quickly examine the three different greetings. Paul begins with his personal greeting. Now, who do you think passed this on? Who does he address in the first couple of verses of his letter in chapter 1? Right, the overseers, the pastors. So he likely means for the overseers, the pastors, to extend his personal greeting to every saint in Christ Jesus in the church in Philippi. Paul desires for his affection and love for the body in Philippi to be communicated on a personal level to each member of the congregation. No one is left out. Each one is regarded as being set apart holy and in blessed union with Christ Jesus. Steve Lawson writes, Paul means to extend to them, right, the church in Philippi, his fervent love for them. That's what's being communicated by this greeting. I love you. I care about you. My affection is for you. Lawson goes on to write, as this letter is read, Paul wants them to know his deep love for these brothers and sisters in Christ. What's another big theme in Philippians? Paul is setting a what for us? And I'm going to let you say it. An example, right? Imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. So again, Paul is setting an example for the church in Philippi. This same love and affection they were to convey to one another, right? And so the way Paul is conveying love and affection for the believers in Philippi, they should in turn convey the same love and affection for each other, right? Does that make sense? Now, why would Paul not use individual names? He does that in other places, in Romans, for example, right, in chapter 16. One might expect a a shout-out to the Philippian jailer. What's up, PJ? Right, Philippian jailer. Hey, Lydia! Keep spinning that yarn, girl. You're doing great. But he doesn't do that. Paul, even at the end of his letter, maintains the theme of unity. There's no favoritism here. All are one in Christ. Recall Paul's words in chapter 2, verse 3 of Philippians. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul intentionally brings to light themes addressed elsewhere in his letter here at the close, demonstrating the practical application of these important themes. Next, Paul relays greetings from the brothers with him, right? This this includes who? Timothy, obviously, and those who are working with Paul in Rome to do what? To advance the gospel. So they, too, want to convey their love and affection for the believers in Philippi. Finally, and we'll take a little more time here, we have the mention of all the saints, and especially those of Caesar's household. That's significant. This is a clear reference to the church in Rome, where Paul was on vacation. No, where was he? 
He's in prison, okay? He's in prison. So even though Paul is in chains, what's not in chains? The gospel. It's an unstoppable force, amen? You can't stop the gospel. These believers were concerned. So the church in Rome, they were concerned for the church in Philippi and wished to relay to them their warm affections. Those of Caesar's household, you could say represents kind of a subgroup, so technically we have four greetings, okay? Not just the church in Rome more broadly, but then this subgroup, those within Caesar's household. So who were these folks? Lawson writes, this represented a significant number of people that extended beyond Caesar's own family, including slaves, cooks, food tasters, I would love that job, musicians, custodians, I'd be like, no, this isn't very good, I'll keep eating it, right, I wouldn't do that, custodians, builders, stablemen, accountants, soldiers, guards, we've already had that mentioned, right, judges, messengers, and heralds, many of these workers had come to faith in Christ, Lawson goes on to write, Paul led some of the praetorian guards assigned to guard him in his imprisonment to Christ, and they in turn carried the gospel back into the palace. The gospel's advancing. Okay? All this is evidence that the gospel is advancing. Now, why include this? To encourage the church in Philippi by revealing to them the amazing power of the gospel. As Lawson writes, to reach into the Roman Empire, even into Caesar's own palace. Right? I mean, you would think, oh, that's off guard. No, no. You can't stop the gospel, right? The gospel knows no bounds. It is an unstoppable force. Do we have the same view of the gospel? Think about it. Do we, do we actually believe that about the gospel, the good news? The evidence of this is seen in whether or not we share it. If we're not sharing it, then we obviously don't believe Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. But if we are sharing it, we believe that, amen? We believe it's an unstoppable force and that through it, God in his grace grants salvation to sinners. The gospel, the point here is the gospel is meant to be advanced, amen? It's meant to be advanced. Brothers and sisters, how are you advancing the gospel with God's church today? Now, let's read all of this in light of a major theme in Philippians, namely that of imitation. Let's come back to imitation. What is Paul doing what is he demonstrating for us? The importance of knowing God's people. Okay? The importance of knowing God's people. And not just knowing God's people, but conveying love, care, concern, and unity towards God's people. That's the purpose of these greetings. If our relationships in the church are not marked by deep affection and love, then it will inevitably affect our witness before the watching world. One more quote from Lawson. This is really good. He writes, an affectionate Christianity is an effective Christianity. Amen? An affectionate Christianity, right? We have love and care and concern for each other. That is an effective Christianity. So, look for opportunities to express, because this is the purpose of the greetings. What we oftentimes view as boring, and let's just go to the next letter, but no, don't miss it. This is the purpose of the greetings. Look for opportunities to express unity, to convey affection, and to practice hospitality in the church. This is what the greetings did. So, 
how are we doing with this at home? Namely, here at Kelty's. If this is your home church, you're a member here, how are we doing with this here at home? What does this look like? How often, think about this, how often do you seek to make brothers and sisters in Christ here at Kelty's aware of your love and affection for them? How often do you seek to make fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here aware of your love and affection for them? And get to know fellow church members. Get in the Word together. Pray together. Serve together. Let fellow members know how much you mean to them and they mean to you. Let them know how the Lord is using them to help you in your walk with Christ how they're challenging you and encouraging you, and all that for the glory of God. Now, a brother and I recently talked about this. Why is it important for us to be mindful of believers elsewhere, right? Elsewhere. Because again, Paul's extending greetings from other churches, right? The church in Rome. Those who are working with him to advance the gospel. It is important that we recognize the larger body of Christ. We are a part of a local church, yes? Yes? And this is, the local church is the primary context for living out our faith. And yet, we are also part of the larger universal body of Christ. Saints in all places and at all times. Right? So the emphasis is on both throughout the scriptures. For the latter, recall Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We, everybody say we. We need to be concerned with what the Lord is doing elsewhere through the gospel. Amen? Like, shouldn't we be concerned with what the Lord is doing elsewhere in other churches through the gospel? Yes? I mean, rhetorical, but come on, yes. This global focus reveals a glory focus. I would argue that if you're not concerned about what the Lord is doing globally then you're not as concerned about his glory as you should be. Why? Because as, think about this, as the gospel advances, as the gospel advances more and more, it means what? More and more glory to God. Does that make sense? Because more sinners turned into what? Worshippers of the one true God revealed in Christ means more glory to God. No longer are these sinners shaking their fists at God. Now they're raising their hands to God. Are we concerned about what God is doing elsewhere in his world for his glory through the gospel? Such a view reveals a big view of the gospel and a proper understanding of the kingdom of God. And it provides opportunity to give thanks for the work of the gospel in other places. All right, here's the application I'm excited about. Practice. Practice steps. Number one, look for ways to express love, affection, and unity with members of your church. Look for ways to express love, 
affection and unity with members of your church. Pursue unity in the church. And we do this by fixing one another's attention on the Lord Jesus Christ and His amazing grace. Number two, pray for and encourage other local churches. Okay? Pray for and encourage other local churches. Love your local church, yes? Love your local church. Kelty's First Baptist Church. I love our church. I love you. Love your local church. Invest in your local church. Be sure to pray for and serve your local church. But also be concerned about what God is doing elsewhere. Don't be an elitist. Man, there's only Kelties. That's it. There ain't no other church. Man, come on, don't say that. I've heard people talk like that. That's dangerous, right? There are other churches. Other groups of believers that meet on the Lord's Day like ours that gather around the Word and want to declare the fame of Jesus. Amen? So how can we do this? Again, we should pray for and give thanks for what God is doing in other churches. Start with RBC. Start with our church plan. Reach out to Wesley and Blake. Reach out to their other members, the Hughes family. I met them last Sunday. Was that two, two Sundays ago? Two Sundays ago. And let them know when you reach out that you love them and that you're praying for them. Ask them what the Lord is doing and celebrate with them. Amen? That's important that we do that. Number three, support and pray for missions. Write cards and letters to our missionaries. Encourage them with God's word. Let them know that you're praying for them. Celebrate with them what God is doing on the other side of the globe. Send your greetings. And then finally, and this may seem odd and out of place, but I think it fits. Aaron, you can correct me on this because you're over the book nook, but read good Christian books. Why? Learn from other believers. <laughs> Learn from other believers. Drink deep from the Puritans. I know Daniel appreciates that. I do too, right? Drink deep from the Puritans. This is a great way to allow other Christians to speak into and encourage our lives. All right, so the challenge, <clears throat> maybe, excuse me, <clears throat> maybe two months ago now, was to read six books in a year. How are we doing? Who's read one? Yes. Okay, sweet. I saw that hand, Michael. Nice, bud. Who's read two? Three. I'm encouraged. Good, good. Let's keep going. Matthew Harmon. <clears throat> As brothers and sisters in the same spiritual family, maintaining relationships with other believers is an essential aspect of the Christian life. Listen, he says, we gain great encouragement in hearing how the good news of the grace of God is transforming the lives of others. I had a dear pastor friend in Washington. His name was Chris as well. And we talked on the phone regularly. We'd have coffin often. Coffin often? No coffins. Coffee often. Coffee often. And it was so exciting to hear what the Lord was doing in their church. And we would celebrate that, and we would praise God for that. And then he would ask me the same question, and he would get excited and praise God. Amen? So Clark and I, <clears throat> when he was probably, <clears throat> I guess five, Clark, we had a secret handshake. Remember that? Yeah, okay, good, he remembers it. 
the funny thing about this, though, was every night Clark wanted to add to it, and it got so long. I, I would just like, man, what, what was the next step? And he tried to remind me, but wh why do this? And if you guys remember, there was a show called Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Maybe it's taboo to talk about Will Smith now. I don't know. I don't care. Um, but what I want to say is, in that show, when I was a kid, I, I remember watching it, <clears throat> what stood out to me was that him and his best friend, Jazz, had this, like, secret handshake. They, and I thought that was so cool, like, having a secret handshake. And but why? What did that communicate? Right? Solidarity. We are together. Affection, love. Like Clark and I had this five-minute long <laughs> secret handshake. It was crazy. But again, it was just something special we did to communicate, hey, man, I love you, buddy. I care about you. Like solidarity. What might this look like in the church today? I'm not saying like start forming secret handshakes there, but that's no. But what, what does this look like today? What does it look like? So CPR. CPR. Check in, pray, rejoice. Check in with God's people regularly. Pray with God's people regularly and rejoice in what God is doing in their lives regularly. Amen? So we should be doing CPR. Man, I heard, like, are you, is your church okay? I heard you guys are all doing CPR like every week now. Like, what is happening? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying check in with God's people regularly. Pray with God's people regularly and rejoice in what God is doing regularly. Amen? CPR. All right. What's next? Now we're going to move quickly. We've looked at Paul's greetings, but what brings about this love, affection, and unity in the body of Christ? Do we just like, okay, I got it. No. You guys see it yet? Do you see my love and affection? Maybe you see a red face. What brings it about? If, if the purpose of these greetings was to convey love and unity and affection. What brings these things about? The grounds, number two. This is really important. The grounds. Verse 21. Greet every saint. Oh, in Christo Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. What brings us into the church? What transforms us into saints, holy and set-apart ones? What changes the way we see Christ and his people? What moves us to convey love and exercise what? Affection and to work for unity. What? Simply put, it's being in Christ. It's being in Christ. Our union with Christ grounds the Christian life. In Christ we have new identity, right? New power for new living. And this living is seen in our affection for Christ's people. Because we are united to Christ, we now love what Christ loves. And Christ loves His bride, the church. This language in Christ, in Christo, in Greek, it's Paul's favorite phrase, by the way. It's his favorite phrase to describe the believer's new identity, their new position. This, everybody say, in Christ. Christ. This is at the heart of the Christian life. And this, if you caught it, I'm sure all of you, like me, read the whole letter again last night to get ready for today. Just kidding. Maybe that's a great practice, by the way. This is how Paul begins and ends his letter in addressing the church. Did you catch that? 
How does Paul begin his letter? Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. To all the saints, what? what? Where are they? They're where? Where are they? Tell me. They're in Christ Jesus. And then what does he say at the very end of our letter? Greet every saint. And here he's talking about the Philippians. Greet every saint. Where are they? Where are they located? In Christ Jesus. If you're a part of the church, then you are in Christ. And being in Christ is everything. And the Lord both brings us in and he keeps us in. Amen? Oh, not only does he bring us in, but he keeps us in. Last week, I made an appeal for us to reorient our lives around what? The glory of God. Namely, to see God's glory as the goal for all that we do, from marriage to parenting to work. And this week, I want to make a similar appeal. Are you ready? A similar appeal. This time, related to the idea of being in Christ reorient your identity around Christ. Reorient your identity around Christ. Focus on and rest in the glorious benefits related to your new identity in Christ. If you're in Christ, raise your hand. Oh, yes, amen? I'm in Christ. Now, what might this look like? Four verses. I want to focus on the following passages. I would encourage you to memorize these. And to live out of these, there could have been 400. I picked four. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Similar language through... Our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's union with Christ's language. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have what? Peace with God. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Is this important? To be in Christ? Galatians 3.26. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith in who? Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. So let's just summarize. For those in Christ, who is that, by the way? Those in Christ, raise your hand. Okay. New creation. Justified, right, and at peace with God. No longer condemned, now exonerated, and adopted. Part of God's family, children of God. I love this quote from Robert McShane. Where's Aaron? There was a footnote at the very end of the page. It was strange. It wasn't in quotations or anything. I came across this in a book by um, Ortland, but he was quoting McShane. And listen to what Robert McShane said. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. The point is this. Remember who you are in Christ. Dwell on these truths regularly live out of this new identity right so what did we see in those four verses okay if i'm in christ i'm new creation i'm justified have peace with god romans 5 1 romans 8 1 no longer condemned i'm exonerated and then what was the galatians 3 i'm adopted i'm in god's family because i'm in christ amen 
And remember this. Don't forget this. We get in Christ by grace through faith. Paul refers to the church in Philippi as saints. Saints in Christ Jesus twice in our passage. We're not in Christ because we're saints. We're saints because we're in Christ Jesus. Amen? One more time. We're not in Christ Jesus because we're saints. We're saints because we're in Christ Jesus. I love the story of Annie. The sun will come out. Bet your butt. Okay, we're done. Right, but it's a hard not life, and the music's great. The story's great. Annie, let's talk about Annie quickly, just quickly. Annie lives in an orphanage run by an evil and abusive woman, according to all standards, right? Agatha Hennigan. Arr. But later on, so now I'm fast-forwarding quickly, later on she is adopted by the billionaire Oliver Warbucks. And this adoption, if, you, if you've adopted, you know this, this adoption results in what? A new name, a new life with Annie's situation, endless opportunity. Right? There's no need, once Annie is officially adopted, there's no need for her to go back to the orphanage. That would be foolish. She has a new name, a new father, a new home, a new life. And this pales, this pales in light of the gospel and our new identity in Christ. In Christ, everything is new. Amen? In Christ, everything is new. Colossians 1, 13-14, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have, what? Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But we're going to tag team. He's going to come and finish. Here's, here's the point. Live out. Live out of your new identity. Okay? You're in Christ. Live out of your new identity. If you're in Christ, then you're a child of the King, adopted, forgiven, and saved. Now, the last one. Our new identity, listen, isn't due to what we've done. Right? It's not due to what we've done. Furthermore, we can't live the way God calls us to live in Philippians in our own strength. We can't. And this brings us to our final point. So we had what? Greetings. We had grounds. What grounds the Christian life? It is union with Christ. We're in Christ. But what do we need? Without this, we're lost forever. Number three is grace. Verse 23, Paul's simple prayer for these believers, the grace. Whose grace? Oh, this is, this is really good, okay? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, be with you. So, <laughs> I love sandwiches. We might argue. You've probably never heard this. We might argue, in fact, I'm going to right now, that Philippians is one big grace sandwich because it begins on the note of God's grace, and it ends on grace. What do we call this? It's an inclusio, right? Whereby the author begins and ends a section on the same note or theme here, the grace of God. Paul prays for God's grace for God's church. It's how he begins and ends his letter. Is that significant that Paul would begin his letter this way and end his letter this way? Important? Yes or no? Muy importante. 
Philippians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. There's the grace. And then at the very end, the last verse, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. So three quick questions. Number one, what is meant by this prayer? Number two, what does grace refer to here? And number three, how does this, if, if Philippians is a grace sandwich, right? If, if you give me a sandwich, I, I can see the bread. I want to know what's inside. That's important, right? And so how does the sandwich part, right, the, the grace and the grace, help us to make sense of what's in the middle? That, that's the last question. I hope my food, al- or my food illustrations and analogies aren't distracting you. You're like, oh, man, that sounds good. What are we talking about again? I hope that's not happening. Email me if it is, and I'll stop talking about food. I'm going to be in trouble when we get to John's gospel. Oh, my goodness. Because Jesus does it himself. I am the bread of life, right? John 6.35. All right. Paul often closes his letters with a final prayer for his recipients. And it was a great way to encourage the body of Christ. And yet, this is more than, you know, simply well-wishing or exhibiting decorum. Paul's prayer must be read in context. So in verse 21, he reminds, this is two verses back. This is the last point, right? Grounds. In verse 21, he reminds the Philippians of their identity in who? This is where I want you to pay attention. If you need to stretch, stretch. Slap your neighbor. Don't slap your neighbor. But just, like, pay attention. Wow, you can't say that anymore. I said it. In verse 21, he reminds the Philippians of their identity in Christ. And thus, the source, the source of their power, peace, and joy. And in the final verse of his letter, verse 23, he prays for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with their spirit, to be with them. So whose grace is it? This is the question. Whose grace is it? Look at the text. Whose grace? The Lord Jesus Christ's. Who are the Philippians in? Who are they in? Okay, whose grace is it? Who are they in? Therefore, who do they have access to? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can reason. We can reason that this grace is theirs by virtue of who they belong to. And remember, this Jesus, the one we've been united to by grace through faith, is Christ. He is the King, and also He is Lord. He is the God King who has all authority, all power. Amen? There is no rival to this God King. He is supreme, and we have access to His grace. That is so important. But what does this grace refer to? The word grace, from the Greek word charis, charis, it often, grace often refers to God's unmerited favor, right? His kindness towards sinners, but it can also refer to His help, namely his enabling help or power. Here, it is a reference to God's sanctifying grace, his power at work in his people. Again, we have access to his grace, this power, because it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are where? We're in him. Therefore, we have access to his grace. Amen? That is so good. Lawson writes, this is my last Lawson quote. It's so good, though. 
the believers in Philippi had already received saving grace at the time of their regeneration. Paul, nevertheless, desires that they know more of this sanctifying grace in their Christian walk, which will enable them to live in a manner that glorifies God and to do so with joy. Paul's prayer, and we need this, is a beautiful reminder. Who needs reminders time and again? I do all the time. We may be tempted, and maybe this is you right now, we may be tempted to read Philippians and be left wondering with this defeatist attitude, how? How on earth can I live this way? I mean, Paul, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, Paul was the one in verse 21 of chapter 1 that said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Shine as light, put others first. How? How on earth can I live this way? How can we live this way? Well, in and of ourselves, what's the answer? We can't, right? Aim higher. Aim higher. Change your focus. We can't, in and of ourselves. But Paul's letter is saturated with reminders of God's what? His grace. And not only does his letter begin and end on this note, but we see it throughout the body of the letter as well. Here's an example, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work on, like get on with your salvation, work it out with fear and trembling. Here's the grace. For, everybody say for, it is God who works in you. Somebody say grace. Thank you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul's prayer at the end of his letter is a reminder of the church's neediness. Everybody say, I'm needy. You don't sound very needy. I'm needy. Right? I'm needy. Paul's prayer is a reminder of the church's neediness in the Lord's glorious provision. And his provision will always outweigh our neediness. Amen? It will always meet our needs. By the way, does his grace run out? Man, gas runs out. It does. It's painful when it does. But his grace, good news, friends, in all seriousness, his grace will never run out. Will never run out. So this entire letter is framed around the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is emphasizing the gracious activity of the Lord from beginning to end. Paul begins and ends his letter by committing the church to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what is Paul doing? He's focusing our attention on Jesus. J.A. Motyer writes, His grace is enough for them, the Philippians. It's enough. Is it enough for us? It is the remedy for every human need. Jesus' grace reveals all his glories, his power, his helpfulness, his riches, and makes them available to his people. Grace is an all-sufficient supply. Grace is Jesus being gracious, end quote. So how might we summarize our passage? Show affection, love, and unity toward God's people. Why? Because you, we are in who? We're in Christ. Simply put, this is how those who are in Christ, saints, are to live in a wicked world. And guess what? It gets better. Because 
of our access to God's grace, we can live this way. Amen? This is how we're called to live. This is why, and this is how. That's the text. Now, we've got to apply this more broadly to Paul's letter to the Philippians. So, church, according to Philippians, we are called, this is a very broad summary, we are called to live like Christ, for the glory of Christ, and we can because in Christ we have access to the grace of Christ. Amen? Okay, so again, Philippians, nutshell, live like Christ for the glory of Christ, and we can because we're in Christ, and because we're in Christ, we have access to the ongoing, never-ending supply of whose grace? Christ's. In order to pursue gospel living in a wicked world, we need God's grace. And in Christ, we have access to it, a grace that never runs out. The gospel. I got to share the gospel with two people this week. Actually, if we include the youth, it's like 52 people. So praise God. But this was at a coffee shop. What is the gospel? The gospel is everything, right? In the gospel, we find God's grace. The gospel is the good news for sinners like us that simply cannot pay the debt we owe God, a perfect life. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We can't pay that debt. God, because he is perfectly holy, demands perfectly holy people, right? And we're not holy. We're sinful. But one has lived a perfectly holy life for us, and that is Jesus. But here's the bad news. Because we have failed to meet God's standards... We deserve God's punishment. Christ took that as well. So not only did he live the life we could not live, but then he died the death we deserved at the cross. And if you're thinking, oh, brother, that's too good to be true. Three days later, he came out of the grave proving that his saving work worked and that all his claims are true. Jesus is Lord. And if you trust in him, guess what? You can be forgiven and have a forever relationship with God. Through faith in Christ, we are brought into Christ where we have access to his sanctifying grace to live as his holy, set-apart people for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that never runs out. It is sufficient. We thank you for your word and that in your word you reveal the beautiful Savior and that through your word and the spirit working through the word, you call us out of darkness into light. You bring us into a relationship with you and your church. And in your word, you call us to live as your holy set-apart people. And in your word, we're reminded that we don't do that. We can't do that in and of ourselves in our own strength, but through yours, which we have access to because of your Son. So, Father, we thank you that in Christ... We are new creation. In Christ, we are justified and have peace with you, God. That in Christ, we have the hope of eternal life in a new heaven, in a new earth, where there's no more death, no more sin, no more opposition to you. Lord, we long for that, and I pray that that future hope would affect how we live now for those who are in Christ. And I pray, Father, that in line with this passage, that we would demonstrate love and care and concern and unity for each other, and that we would demonstrate that to other churches as well, and that we would do that for your glory 
and give thanks for what you're doing in your world through your gospel, through your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said,